Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com, and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365, for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness, and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. 9th Floor Mannequin is Jared Padone, and 9th Floor Mannequin has been the drummer, composer, engineer, and producer for other bands and directors for years. Green and Blue for Blackness is a debut solo release. The whole EP was handled from start to finish by Jared while he was recovering from a really horrible accident. Upon waking up from his coma, he had some musical skills to resharpen and the time to make music that played in his head into a reality. This is absolutely an amazing album. I, I want to read you just a little snippet of a review from Street Rock Review. You can read the rest of it. It's, it's quite lengthy um, and in-depth at uh, streetrockreview.com, I, I believe, um, written by Dan Davis over there. He says, uh, the EP, Green and Blue for Blackness, has so many layers, I struggle to finalize my review because every time I listen to it, I came away discovering new things to understand and appreciate. And that is very true. This is a musical experience, this album that Jared's put together. It's like a ride at Disneyland. So um, Jared's going to walk us through this experience and walk us through some of this music, and you're going to need to follow up with him. You can find him on Twitter, and we put his Bandcamp link on here as well. So thanks, Jared, for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. So this has a lot of layers to this music. This this isn't just some little instrumental guitar solo that, that you put out. This is really an amazing <laughs> album. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. How did it, it start... How long have you been in, in music? So you were in music before your accident, right? Yes, I was a drummer for a couple touring bands for a while. Okay, and then want you, and then you got into an accident. Why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> it was an adventure. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was jogging and I got hit by a drunk driver who was on heroin in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. So um, that was an adventure, and I was. Away for two weeks, I was under, and then I woke up and then, you know, transported around back to New York, and then I needed to reacclimate myself with music, and so that's how the EP started and ended. <laughs> wow. Did they catch the drunk driver on heroin who hit you? Uh, yes. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but I was just at criminal court a couple of weeks ago, oh, okay. and... He was on parole, and now he's back away for another extra three or ten years. Well, that's good because he needs to sober up and <laughs> and not yeah, be a menace so. to society. <laughs> yeah, well, we're so really he'll glad. be away for a little while, so I don't know. I well, guess it worked good. out. Well, we're glad that, that, that you're here with us. Why this was so fascinating to me, uh, other than the musical experience level on this, was that, I, too, was in a coma at one point when I was about 18 years old. And that, I kind of wanted to talk to you about that experience because unless you've been in that state, it's it's kind of hard to explain to mere mortals um, what, what that experience is like. And for me, personally, 
it was it was a biz- I didn't come out writing any music or anything, but but reflect I've reflected over that event many many times in my life, and and I'm sure that there's many levels of of you know being in your conscious and subconscious and in a coma. On mine, I could really hear and understand things that were going on around me. I just couldn't communicate those. Um, variances, but it was really a kind of a, a surreal experience. What was your time in in a coma like? As far as my time when I was in a coma, I I don't remember anything. Pretty much from August till Christmas, it was just kind of black. You know, I I was mm-hmm. away for a while and I had a brain injury, so I was I was I. It's fair to say I did not take in a whole lot of information and nothing was really there for a while or in memory, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. As far as the the consciousness of, of writing and, and recording and mixing and mastering and doing all that stuff, it's a strange thing because at that point I had musical ideas and I had opened up sketches and files and I, I was hearing my songs, but I didn't recognize them at all. I had laid down tons of tracks and it was weird because you were listening to something that was familiar but not at all familiar, and then you embellished on it. So it's almost like you're co-writing with yourself a bit. And that's kind of how the whole thing became a one entity. You know, it needed to be cohesive. It needed to sound like it, all the songs belonged together, and it was some type of project with a unified purpose. And so I was co-writing with myself, a month or two after I woke up on my wow. computer, and so it was a it was a strange correct thing. But you know, um, it, it was even interesting waking up and listening to all my favorite songs because I knew I knew the lyrics and I knew I knew the, everything about those songs. But it was it was like I was hearing them again for the first time. Because, I don't know. It was just, it was detached. I knew it, but I didn't know it at all. And it was the same thing with my own music. Wow. Um, in retrospect, looking back, um, do you think it gave you more insight and, and kind of fresh ears, so to speak, and, and, and new creativity, kind of hearing the, the old songs for a new time? Very, very much so. Mainly, it, it was more of uh, it was more of a departure from details. You know, I stopped thinking so much about oh, I messed up the third pre-chorus on the second guitar part. Like, I didn't care. It was about big picture stuff. It was about the story. It was about the song. It was about the mood. It was about the vibe. It was about the whole thing. And the details just kind of went away. I, cause, mainly because I couldn't really tell if something was a little early or a little late or a little out of tune. I was just kind of seeing it as a as a big picture type of project. And that's just kind of how I made it. So it, it really kind of kept you from overthinking it in terms of performance yes in 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 terms of mixing and and doing all that stuff i i let details go i let it be a little blurry i let it be a little cold a little distant it's just that was how i mixed it just because that was my frame of mind at the time so yeah it just it i just let the details go and focus on big picture well it's really amazing because it really is um, a, a spark of genius. I'm going to play one of the first tracks off of the album, which is Snake Bit. Do you, and, and I, I, 
I want to go back just a little bit. A, a lot of times when people have put out albums or EPs, there's not really a flow to it. Um, it's kind of choppy. Um, and, and so it's, it's important to kind of have a, an experience, a, a journey. And, and when you look at a lot of the really big artists out there, that's kind of how the album is. It kind of takes you through this journey. And that's what this does, too. So it starts out. Snake Pit is, is, is the first song? Yes. Okay, you want to kind of set that up for us? Tell us what it's about, what you were thinking. Well, this song is, it's actually strangely relevant nowadays. Um, that that song is essentially about kind of addiction to technology to a point of emotional attachment. And, you know, you know how things are nowadays, and you do develop this attachment to entities that have no consciousness. Like emotional, mm-hmm. you know, you get in fights with your computer. You have angry, angry altercations with y- your computer and your certain TV series and all that stuff. And that that song is basically about a prisoner who is forced into solitary confinement. So when you're in solitary, you can't really hold a good grasp on what the hell is going on. And if you're all alone and it's you and some type of other soulless machine, after a long amount of time, you'll develop an attachment to it, and you know that you're being crazy, and you know that you've lost your sanity, but you can't help feeling attached to a soulless entity. So that's what that song is about. It's about being locked in solitary with one soulless entity and developing a real relationship with it. All right, we're going to listen to it. This is Snake Bit by Ninth Floor Mannequin. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
right, that was Snake Bit by Ninth Floor Mannequin. I was just talking to Jared offline about sometimes in our lives we need events to kind of reboot our system. We have these shifts, and, and a lot of times that will happen. Unfortunately for Jared, it happened through a horrific accident um, where he was kind of able to release some of the clutter from his mind and, and, and see things in a different perspective. Sometimes we do that through falling in love. Sometimes we do it breaking up. Sometimes it's changing a job. Sometimes it's going on vacation. You kind of just never know. But at, at different times in our lives, we too kind of jog our system and, and, and shock it. And, and we're able to see things in a, in a much more different light. And personally, I, I kind of believe that that's happened to Jared after his accident, and he was able to really get in and, and, and create this amazing, amazing album. That's just my thoughts, Jared. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a pretty good analysis. I'm pretty close to right there with you. The funny thing is, especially, I'm sorry, especially musically, as I said, when you're, when you're going back and you're re- hearing your own music as a third-party listener, then you tend to relearn what the hell you were as a musician before, and then you try to embellish on it. So you need to reinvent yourself with the help of your old self. <laughs> and you kind of mm-hmm. take upon what you did and uh, finish it and make it new, but try not to leave who you were before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And add the new you in there as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, Street Rock Review did an amazing um, review and really went through this album in depth. Were, were, were you as happy with the review as, as I was to read it? Uh, I, I would assume more so. I, I was, I'm, I, I'm aware, I, as I said, I'm a musician. I'm aware that I did not write the most, you know, radio-ready, super-pop-friendly first listen. I love this kind of album. It's a bit strange. It's you know, I was never really trying to, to chase that, that target of the pop song. So when I read the review, I just loved that he actually cared and he listened to it and he tried to figure out what was going on and he listened more and more and, you know, he it, he really put time into it. And that's what I like to see. I mean, you know, I, the last thing you want to see is a review that's just half-assed. You know, like, I don't know, the first song's mm-hmm. a little short, you know, and I, I reading his review was really nice because, you know, it, it's nice to hear that someone else actually cares enough to really dig into the the work that you put out. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. He really dug into the album, and if somebody wants to really clearly understand um, what the album is about, I, I would you know tell them to go to Street Rock Review and and read that because it was it was absolutely amazing. Were you always a drummer? Did you start out as a drummer first? Yes, I was a, uh, a drummer of a, a lot of terrible punk bands in Staten Island, New York, when I was about 14. And then, um, yeah, I eventually started touring as a drummer for other bands, and I always had songs, and I just, you know, I never made my own project because I never had the time. And suddenly I had a lot of time, and I had to learn how to do the music thing again. So that's what led me to actually writing and singing and actually unleashing the the, the guitar, bass, drums, piano, keyboard, vocals, thing. I was just a drummer for the most part before. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of creativity in drummers, and I, I, I really find it in, interesting. You know, um, Ringo Starr 
he started out as a drummer, obviously for for the Beatles. But now, you know, Ringo has his whole new thing going on with his new band, and he tours all the time. And and he really found, even though he's still drumming, I mean, he's kind of up front and center with all of his creative ideas. And and the same, I've had mm-hmm. Alan White from Yes on in the past, and another very very creative person. And then yesterday, I just had Chad Channing on from Nirvana. And one of the things where Chad left Nirvana was he wanted to be seen kind of more than a drummer. He wanted to write. He wanted to um, – he, he could play the guitar. He could sing. He had all these things, and now he has a new band out himself. But so drummers, a lot of times I think that they get overlooked kind of there in the back, but but I am really finding them to be – very creative people, and then this just absolutely goes, you know, along in line with everything that that I've been doing my own little research on. It's it's yes, it's an interesting thing because, of course, it goes for any instrument, you know, any any walk of life. Sometimes people are, you know, a bit more creative, and sometimes people are a bit more in the box, and a lot of times drummers tend to do the in-the-box thing, and then the out-of-the-box stuff seems to be a little too wild to bring up at a band practice. And I've been in, in bands with, you know, bassists that were a bit too strange or a bit too normal, and guitars in the same with any instrument. But, you know, it's tough because for, you know, you have Don Henley, you have, you know, uh, Levon Helms, uh, Ringo and all that. But for every one of those great guys, there's a drummer who kept his mouth shut and probably should have. <laughs> so it's a strange thing there, There's a lottery with, with musicians And like I said I never really set out To do a project on my own It's just circumstances led me to Have some time And you know the, the urge to Actually see it through and see what it would sound like So you know mm-hmm. sometimes It's nice to let it out but I'm sure some drummers Let some stuff out and it's not so nice And same with guitarists <laughs> and singers It's just it's a lottery <laughs> that is true. What has people's reaction been? We we, we know what Street Rock Review thought. But what has been some of the other things that that, that you've heard on reaction and on, on people going through the EP? Um, luckily, it's all been extremely positive for the most part. Well, actually, it's been all positive. I guess anyone who thinks it thinks it's too chicken to tell me. So that's nice. But the the reaction is, what is this? <laughs> You know, because uh, uh, they, they they tend to ask, does this go with something? Are you are you a band? Did you do all this? Are you alone? Are you are you playing? What's what's what is this? <laughs> and it seems mm-hmm. like people are, are more. I mean, they have great things to say as, in terms of the songwriting, the lyrics, the creativity, all that stuff. That's all wonderful. I'm happy to hear it. However, they don't really know for sure that this is a guitar-based drums band. <laughs> So because mm-hmm. the arrangement, I never really intended to to push this project as hard as I am now. So when I was writing, recording, mixing, and that, that whole mess, it's not for a traditional group. It's not for a five-piece band, you know. I do need a small choir. I do need four guitars at times. I do need some keyboards. I do need some weird extra drums and seven guitar tracks at times. But, you know, it, the mystery, I guess, start to dissolve once you see it performed with a, a group. But as far as the initial reaction, it was that people are impressed and kind of a little concerned at the fact of 
this seems unplayable live. <laughs> you know, they they don't <laughs> understand that it's not so far out. I got creative with mixing stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to listen now to One No Victory, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you where do we go from here with, with this album? But, but first I want you to set up One No Victory. We'll let everybody hear that one, and then, and then we'll come back and, and see where Jared goes from here. Okay. Explain uh, One No Victory oh, to I'm us. I'm sorry, yes. Uh, yes, One No Victory. Um, one No Victory is uh, a, definitely uh, a, a pretty large bound away from Snake Bit. Um, one No Victory is essentially about a professor – who is forced into early retirement. And when you're forced into early retirement as a professor, you feel like you think of all the students that you've had and you contemplate whether or not you've had a positive impact on them. And there's a a famous quote from Horace Mann that says, uh, be ashamed to die unless you have won some victory for mankind, meaning do something with your life, make an impact, have a positive impact on children, you know, and the future. And when you're forced into early retirement, you just you can't be sure that you've done that. And he that's the title of the song is One No Victory because he cannot fully say for sure whether or not he did have a good impact on society. All right. I think a lot of people can relate to that. We'll be right back. And this is One No Victory, Ninth Floor Mannequin. <laughs>
right, that was one no victory by nice floor mannequin. So where do we go from here, Jared? I mean, do do you take this to TV? Do you take it to the theater? Do you take it to 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 a movie studio for some type of soundtrack consideration? Well, um, where the album goes, the album was intended for the traditional use. Tour, play some shows, get the word out, you know, try to see if any kind of steam really starts to pick up. As far as the other stuff, I have submitted it for indie film, and I have snuck it in a couple little uh, small director's cuts of, of, of indie films at festivals and all that stuff just because I had the album as an instrumental laying on a hard drive. And when I had to score their film, I figured, you know what would work for this? The second minute of Snake Bit. I'm going to pull the second minute of Snake Bit, take out the third guitar, take out the vocal, and it'll work really nice under this theme. So I have used it, but um, it's it's to be seen if it <laughs> takes on more of a picture on its own. Yeah, and, you know, I I, I can really see this in, in the soundtrack realm. And, you know, it has a, a lot of different variations. I mean, it could go into kind of a sci-fi. It could go into futuristic. It can go into, um, you know, drama. So it's it's very thought-provoking, this music. And that's why you really get a lot of bang for your buck with this. It's not just a, it's not just a little cheesy pop album. I mean, you could really put this on and have a complete musical experience. And people need to check out your band camp. We, we have the, the link on there so that they can go and, and experience this as well for, for themselves. Well, thank you very much for all that. I appreciate it. I hope people enjoy it and uh, reach out and, say uh, some type of criticism or just kindness to me. Well, you're on Twitter, and um, I I think we we put the link on there, and then they can also connect with you through Bandcamp and then then through Twitter. We're going to go out with Necktie Party. So we've given people three songs that they're going to be able to listen to and give a a, a real good sample of, of what's on that EP, but we didn't give you the whole thing. We really encourage you to support this fantastic um, creative process with people like Jared um, out there. They, they put the money all up front to be able to bring us these wonderful um, music pieces, and it just costs a little tiny bit of money to, you know, keep the process going, and we do that by, by supporting him and buying the music and telling our friends. So why don't, Jared, you go ahead and talk to us about Necktie Party, and, uh, and uh, we'll give it a listen. All right. Um, necktie party is is it, that, that one is kind of interesting. That thought came to me while I was on the road touring in a terrible little broken van, and uh, touring as a mid-level band is rough. You get five dollars a day, and you know you don't really sleep on anywhere but floors or vans. So at that time, I was I'm from New York. I'm from Staten Island, so I always hung out in cities, and I used to think I was very much a city guy. And then I went on tour and I was out in the middle of Nevada in the desert and I realized, yeah, this isn't for me. And then I went back home and then I realized, yeah, people are mean here too. And that's kind of uh, the the idea of the song. It's just that some people don't have a place. You, you're not a city person. You don't belong out in the wilderness. Both don't feel right at times. Both feel great at times, but don't really have a natural habitat. <laughs> you don't belong in a city, you don't belong in the wilderness. And that's what that song is about. 
I think a lot of people can relate to that, too. All right, this is Necktie Party. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Well, that's our show. We would like to thank our listeners, our guests, and, of course, our sponsor, Audible.com. We've included an easy one-click link to Audible.com where you can just go and browse and check out and see if catching up on your reading is right for you through an audiobook. The first book is free. doesn't cost anything to check it out. So check it out. Get back with us. Let us know what you think. And be sure to also check out NorthwestPrime.com for this interview and other great interviews that we've had with numerous celebrities and other entertainers in the past. Thanks and have a great day.